Sociologists tell us that an average individual can proactively manage about 100 to 150 relationships. Here's my million dollar question of you and your listeners, which ones? Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have global thought leader and growth strategist David Noor, as he shares how being an immigrant built his expertise in relationships, how Americans differ from the world and how they do business, along with David's idea of relationship economics. David Noor recently stopped by to speak to our entire team with an enlightening presentation on the power of relationships in business. So of course, we sat down for a little chat. I hope you enjoy my interview with David. Now you have a pretty cool accent. Are you from, uh, are you from Atlanta originally? <laughs> Actually, I was, uh, I was born in Iran. Uh, I came in uh, May 23rd, 1981. Uh, fun fact, with a suitcase, a hundred bucks, didn't know anybody and didn't speak a word of English. I land at JFK with a badge around my neck, put this kid on an Eastern airline flight to Atlanta, and I came here to go to school. I came and uh, lived with an aunt and uncle that I hadn't seen since birth, and uh, first couple of years were really tough because I had English tutors and did well in math and science, but I failed my first history exam because I couldn't understand what I was being asked. Oh, wow. But Now, now when you learn languages, so I'm, yeah. I'm kind of fascinated by learning languages. What yeah. was the first thing that your, your family taught you or what's the first thing that you learned? Do you remember that? Oh my gosh. Uh, so we went and got the first, uh, I was a teenager and we went and got the first through I think 10th grade uh, English lit books. And if you remember, you know, kindergarten, this is a cat. The cat is on the roof. The roof <laughs> is tin. I mean, those, uh-huh. that level of granularity. And the other fun thing, believe it or not, Sesame Street. Oh, okay. Sesame Street was phenomenal in learning phonics and learning kind of the base. And most native speakers don't understand how difficult English is as a language because of all the nuances and exceptions. And, uh, right, you know, we spell things 15 different ways. And right, it's just, it, it's, it becomes a... Constant. The joke I usually like to tell is, I don't know what a dangling participle is, but I'm still looking for it. <laughs> I'm still working on fixing it. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're a soccer player too. Did I, that help I, out I, in the transition? I did. Yeah. There, I, again, I tell friends, uh, there are two things I did in, in uh, finishing up high school and college that really helped. I played soccer, which is, you know, especially with the soccer kids, you're you're ahead. And I dated a cheerleader, which is instant oh, wow. popularity. You just kind of instantly, wow. you get invited go to parties. Go out or go home. Yeah. You know, you, you get invited. <laughs> I think she felt sorry for me. <laughs> uh, but uh, you get invited to the parties, you get to, in the crowd. And I was everybody's best friend till they found out from, I was from Iran. Then I was suddenly the Ayatollah's cousin. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it was, a, and of course it was right after the hostage crisis. Oh, so yeah, it was, right. a, it was a rough, yeah. yeah, it was a rough, rough patch. And you know, growing up in outskirts of Atlanta, they, they didn't know there were there weren't a whole lot of you know Iranians there, and you know they would they would go home and and see all the news about what's happening, and they'd come to school, and I'm you know the the the, the favorite punching bag the next day because I'm the only running kid they knew. Yeah. So it was a little rough uh, the first few years, but you kind of adapt and learn and kind of grow through that. Well, the, the kind of, that's kind of the crazy thing. Like how, like you're famous for relationships. Sure. You know, being an expert on that, how you build those. Do you feel like that played into who you are and how you became so good at that? Yeah, and 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 I'm I, I intentionally talk a lot about feeling genuinely feeling blessed because um, I and I wrote in the relationship economics book. I didn't get it then, but I certainly get it now. I think I was five or six years old, walking to the bazaars of Iran with my dad on our Friday errands. Friday is their weekend, and yeah. Fridays usually go run errands. And dad not only had a list from mom of the things she needed around the house, but dad also had a relationship list. And he made sure we went and visited with 
the people that were important in our lives. So whether we needed access to a plumber at the house or to a local politician, dad kind of knew how to connect the dots. And that stayed with me at a, at a very young age. And Brian, you know, even now, having lived abroad, having worked abroad, every international trip I take reiterates for me that the rest of the world builds relationships first from which they do business. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, as Americans, right, I consider myself that one, we're so focused on the business part, whether it's a checklist or a project plan or a pipeline, that if and only if those things work, we may come around to asking about the relationship <laughs> part. Hence the disconnect when we go into places and people don't look like us or sound like us or come from our backgrounds. What are some of the things that your dad did to build relationships with people? Sure. So uh, mom, uh, which she learned from her mom, well, is a phenomenal cook. And dad would always take either sweets or something mom made. Uh, so I grew up learning about uh, unexpected gifts at unexpected times. And number two, things you can't buy places. Uh, so so uh, those are always, always a, a favorite treat. Um, mom and dad were fairly social. So in a lot of ways, entertainment options are limited in other parts of the world, what do you and I have thousand different channels in our TVs you know, right? <laughs> there because entertainment, you know, uh, options are limited. It's typically there. You're at somebody's house, either a family members or, or friends or neighbors. Um, the other thing is they, they deeply believe in this idea of relationships. It's not a, it's not an afterthought. It's part of who they are. So my dad's been shopping at the same butcher for like 50 years at the same baker for 50 plus years. I and mean, it literally is dealing with the grandson of the grandparent that he kind of started with. And um, both my parents are also retired now teachers. Mm-hmm. So they've taught half the city we live in, right? So they kind of, <laughs> everybody knows them. And there's this uh, reverence, there's this enormous amount of respect for teachers in, in Iran. And so, so um, more consistent visits, uh, unexpected gifts at unexpected times, and more social gatherings than just business needs is what I consistently remember from from mom, dad, and and that that culture. So, how, what made you decide to start, the, you know, start your own journey with sure. that here? Sure. So, so it's crazy to believe this is year eighteen of my business. Uh, so, my my personal background was was a lot of sales and sales management and marketing, and then after grad school consulting and ran a company, and then I spent a number of years at a private equity firm. And in the private equity world, over six years, we bought and sold 110 different companies. Mm. And in really looking at what set some companies apart from their competitive peers, one of the nuances that I noticed was they they built really strong relationships, both inside, like with the leadership team, but also phenomenal customer relationships. And when we went to interview their customers and they said, we didn't just buy their best product service, we bought because of them and their you know attention to details. And, and they went above and beyond kind of the need to make sure we were successful. And so early part of my work really relied on that genesis, that relationships were this fundamental differentiator for individuals, for teams and organizations. Then when I decided to go on my own, uh, we're blessed with a daughter in Denver, the private equity job moved us all over the country and we were blessed with a daughter in Denver, wife wanted to be a full-time mom, we went back to Atlanta. And when we came back to Atlanta, I couldn't find anything I got really excited about. So I went on a listening tour and I reached out to 35 friends who knew me, who I liked, who I trusted, who I respected. And I now use this technique in my coaching. I, I went to them and I said, what do you think I do 
exceptionally well. Uh, and consistently said, you, you network, that was their term, you mm-hmm. network better than anybody else we know. If you can teach other people how to do that, you'll succeed. And of course, you know, first couple of years, you're stumbling. You're like, how the hell do I do this? And what am I, <laughs> am I teaching them how to, you know, schmooze? Or So I embarked on reading and I read a whole bunch of books on networking and guerrilla networking and event networking. And a lot of it really came across as cheesy and it came across as transactional and came across as eh, just, right, the snake oil that we all cringe at. And I said, <laughs> I don't want to be that. So that's where relationship economics came from. And I started talking about it and started consulting around it and finally wrote the book. And here we are 18 years later. What's kind of the bottom line thing? Because some people I think inherently get that relationships are important. Others people, other people you have to prove to them they're important. No question. I would submit that most people fundamentally understand, intellectually understand relationships are important. Very few I meet understand their significance. And the inherent difference is becoming more intentional, becoming more strategic, and becoming more quantifiable in the relationships you choose to invest in. Now, anytime I say that, it's really important for me to clarify, I'm not out there teaching people how to be more manipulative or how to use people to get things. That's not it at all. As a matter of fact, you know, I often tell people, most people have a BS radar, right? <laughs> if you're not being authentic, if you're not being real, they'll see it and, and you'll get that, you know, they'll disengage, right? So, so be you, be real. But if you genuinely and if you if you believe the notion that relationships are an investment, none of us can invest in everybody all the time. You just you don't have the bandwidth. There's as a matter of fact, sociologists tell us that an average individual can proactively manage about a hundred to 150 relationships. Here's my million dollar question of you and your listeners: Which ones? And how do you know? And if you can't invest in everybody equally, how will you then prioritize what relationships you're going to invest in? That's where the discipline, that's where the consistency, that's where the focus comes in. I, I, one of the things you did that. So, so for those listening, we just had a premier university. We get to pick from thousands of speakers to come in and talk to us. And David was one of the people we picked for our premier university to talk to our whole team here today. And uh, we had a lot of different things mm. that we were saying, this is why we don't invest in relationships. Mm. What's the main one? And I think it came up for us too today. What's, <laughs> sure. What gets in the way of that? Yeah, so we do this real-time interactive polling thing and, and, and consistently, that's the part I'm amazed at, across, I think we counted 34 different industries across literally hundreds of different companies. The consistent reason most people aren't more proactive in building strategic relationships, drum rolls, is that they're too busy. And that's the consistent feedback. I'm too busy. I've got too much going on. I have 300 emails waiting for me. And whenever I hear somebody say, I'm too busy, you know what I hear? is It's not important enough. Because you heard me talk about this. If my wife tells me that I've got to be at kid's school, probably your wife as well, if you got to <laughs> yes. be at kid's school, three yeah. o'clock this afternoon, that's where we are, right? So we'll make time for things that are important. Unfortunately, most people think about relationships as yet something else they have to do. Mm-hmm. Let me put Brian on my list of action items for today that I have to invest in that relationship. And guess what? You'll never really succeed at it that way. Because it becomes a patch, it becomes a band-aid, it becomes, you know, versus the dye in the fabric that defines the fabric, right? So integrating relationships in kind of what you do day in and day out is really the formula for success. And I often talk about lead with the relationship first, as I said earlier, right, the rest of the world, from which business will come from it. But you have to invest, you have to give, you have to 
uh, really think of them and how are they better off? How can they be better off because of you? If you do that, those who get it, not everybody, but those who get it will seek you out. will want to know more about, Brian, what do you guys do? And, oh, yeah, we'll have this event. Can you help us? And so on and so forth. From our intern, Olivia. So yes. how should she, how should somebody who's just recently out of college or maybe in college, how should that person grow relationships? Yeah. So first and foremost, uh, don't lose touch with some of your classmates from school. That's one of the biggest uh, challenges is we think of our life as buckets versus truly a journey. So go go back and, and make sure, and, and as, your, as, your, as your life becomes much more professional versus social. So for example, LinkedIn is a really good way to do that, right? So connect with some of your classmates, connect with some of your professors on, on various social channels and just keep up with them. Two, don't lose, don't lose touch with your school. Go back for alumni events. I still go back to Emory. I still go back to Georgia State. I've been on panels. I've been on you know, judging marketing competitions. And so don't, again, don't forget about that important chapter. And, and the reason is you're just like your career is going to evolve. So are your classmates. Your professors are going to do consulting work or they're going to be on panels. And if you stay in touch with them, they find ways to bring you into opportunities and you remain relevant with not all, but some of those folks, number one. Number two, uh, unfortunately, I think more Brian and I's, you know, generation, uh, you know, we went to work and then went home, right? <laughs> um, why? Because we worked our tail off and then we just went home, right? Getting involved in your community, getting involved in a lot of different diverse groups really help to build out and really nurture your relationships. So get involved with local politics, get involved with local civic organizations, go find something you're passionate about, whether it's kids or it's elderly or it's pets or whatever, but go get involved. And, and, and again, balancing that. And the third one is never stop learning, right? So Brian knows, I, I'm blessed, I speak 50, 60 times a year, but also force myself to attend at least one conference a quarter where I sit in the back of the room, I have no responsibility whatsoever. They don't know who you are. They don't care. And you can just sit there and be a sponge. And it's amazing what I've learned from other speakers. When you hear General McChrystal talk, when you hear you know, Colin Powell talk, when you, they're not making this stuff up. They lived it. <laughs> they did it. They, Condoleezza Rice, unbelievably impressive, right? You hear some of these people talk and you can't help but learn. But also the people you sit around become fantastic opportunities to learn and grow. Um, other things is don't ever go anywhere without business cards. You know, again, for the next generation, business cards seem like a little passe because we all have digital footprints, but people still, some people still like the feel of business cards and, and don't, don't ever go anywhere without a pen <laughs> just having something to write with, write on. Uh, but those become part of your identity. Those become um, part of your chance to give and get and, and really invest in others. But really work on, I think in your 20s, and even your 30s is really a good chance to, to really build, really plant those seeds and start building the early relationships that then you cultivate rest of your career. One of the things you also talk about is disruption. Mm. Like, where do you see these things coming from? And, and, and you kind of talk about a number of different things, but where do you see that companies can use this for disruption? Sure. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you remember being kids and playing dodgeball? Uh -huh. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. When that ball came at us, did you stand still? <laughs> Not if you, want, if you didn't want to get hit, right? Yeah, yeah. So what did we all do? We moved, right? We pivoted. And I would submit that disruption is all around us. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, um, a lot of the work that I do is with senior leadership teams and boards. And I took a uh, leadership team and a board to the Consumer Electronics Show mm-hmm. in Vegas, yeah. January, big event, as you know. And this one board member, um, mid-70s, fought me throughout entire planning. I don't know why we have to do this. We're not in consumer electronics. It'll be a waste of time and money. And he literally pulled me aside. I think we'd been there 15, maybe 20 minutes. And he said, now I know why we're here. And I'm like, okay, Jim. (laughs) I didn't know what he was gonna say, right? Why do you think we're here? He said, I get it that every business is or soon will be under attack. And, and he's right, they're not in the consumer electronics business. What I wanted the leadership team and the board to see is all the different ways those without baggage are disrupting your business model, your go-to-market strategy, your products and services, your, I mean, it's the classic Airbnb. Those guys didn't come from the hotel industry. And I've worked with a lot of the hotel brands and why didn't they thought of you know, this underutilized asset? And But again, they came to that business model without all the baggage. So we talk about a disruptions all around us. So get used to the new normal. Uh, Number two, um, your relationships, believe it or not, are your biggest asset when it comes to identifying what we call faint market signals. If you develop relationships as what we call signal scouts. So if you have a diversity of your relationships in a lot of different parts of the market, If I talk to you and you tell me about something, maybe that's an anomaly. But if I hear the same thing two, three different times in a condensed amount of time from different sources, now the light bulb goes off. That's just not a Brian thing or not just a Nashville thing or not just the industry thing. That's now more prevalent. And those faint signals become some things that now you pay more attention to and you look for, okay, what's our answer? Do we have a product? Do we have a solution? Is this a trend? Is this a fad? Is this gonna come and go? Or is this something we're gonna get more aggressive, more proactive in building and taking to market? So again, your relationships become a feeder for you not just hearing about interesting ideas, but also could be great ways for experimentation, pilots. And here's what we're thinking. What do you think? There's a reason restaurants do soft openings, right? Mm-hmm. We invite our friends and, hey, here's the menu. What do you think? Here's this new product. It's not completely baked, but here's what we're thinking. What do you think? And it's a good way for you to also practice speed and agility and nimbleness. What are some things that leaders specifically should take away from this? Uh, Number one, let me give you three or your audience three. Number one, uh, get out of your head, get out of your office, get out of your industry. Uh, Real innovation seldom comes from within the industry. It often, in our experience, comes from outsiders. So if you're just in manufacturing, go see what service companies are doing. Go see what the travel industry is doing. Go see what other mature companies and mature industries are struggling with. Uh, Number two, I'm a huge believer of fresh thinking, fresh perspective. One of our clients hired a really bright woman, 32 years old from Amazon. She's done more in six months than this entire team was able to do in the past two years because she didn't come with all the baggage. She like didn't, what, any examples? Yeah, they, you know, she, she literally created, th- these guys were in the B2B space, uh, and they were always afraid of who went directly to consumer, who were gonna s- sabotage or cannibalize our B2B business. She's like, no, what about those consumers that are not buying from those business sources or channels? So she launched this direct-to-consumer model, and good chance uh, we did a, we helped her with a, or them with an acquisition um, I think that business did about $10, 12000000 million in year one. 
30 some odd year two, it will do 80 some odd million this year three. Wow. So it's completely taken off and it's been unexpected and she's gotten promoted several times. Uh, but again, she came to that uh, role without all the baggage. She didn't say, I've been in this business for 30 plus years, right? So executives, get out of your head, get out of your industry, get out of your company. That's the ideas are not gonna come to you in mahogany row, yeah. right? Number two, fresh thinking, fresh perspective. Number three, um, a quick story. Uh, first time I took my young, you've got kids. I took my yeah. young daughter to London. She's like, dad, look, they're driving on the wrong side of the road. I said, no, honey, they drive on the other side of the road. <laughs> as industrialized as our country is, as forward thinking as we are, we don't have all the answers. Did they, and again, I, I'm a big believer that we're all products of the advice we take. A mentor drove into me that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, yeah. right? So, <laughs> so, you know, go seek out others. Go be a student of how they do what they do. Steve Jobs dropped out and he took a calligraphy class and that's where Adobe fonts and, you know, all that came from, right? So get out of that comfort zone and element for diversity of thought, for unique perspectives, for independent insights. Uh, unfortunately, I still see a lot of leaders that are surrounded by people that want to please mm -hmm. and appease. And yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, let's keep spending $10 million on that until it goes off a cliff. I told you it was going to go off the cliff. Well, why didn't you say that before <laughs> we embarked on this, right? So really getting that fresh lens, that unbiased kind of sounding board, those are all really helpful. I've got a couple questions left. So uh, I know you're a big fan of reading. Mm. What are just some three, like, three books off the top of your head that you'd recommend sort of in general or that you just really like recently? Oh boy. Uh, yeah, I'm an avid reader. I read about three, four books at a time. Uh, I go back and actually reread some of these things, number one. Number two, I still love the feel of paper. Yeah. So I'm, I write in the margins, I earmark, I highlight, I read, it's like John Madden of, of yeah. NFL <laughs> with my books, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've really liked Lords of Strategy. I've gone back and read, read that one a couple of times. Um, Alan Weiss is a friend and a mentor. I've gone back and read value-based fees mm -hmm. several times. It's all about positioning your value very differently, not based on any kind of units, but the value you create. And then Marshall Goldsmith is another kind of mentor and coach. And his, I love his book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. I've read that book three times. Mm -hmm. And every time, you know, chapter four talks about 20 habits we all have that keep us from reaching the top. Mm -hmm. And I've read that book. I've got that list in front of me. And I, I kick myself, stop doing those things because they're not helping you. But reading to me is like, it's like food. It's like fuel. You never know when or how you're going to use it. But uh, it becomes uh, often intellectual Red Bull. Right? Yeah. It, becomes, <laughs> it does give you wings. Right? Yeah. And it gives you a chance to, to look at scenarios with different, different perspectives. So yeah, I'm an avid reader. Now your parents, you were talking about earlier how much they imparted to you. And you've got Teenage kids. I yeah. think your daughter's still a teenager. She's a seven, 17 year old 17. daughter and a 15 year old son. Now, what are the, some of those things that you're passing on to them? I know you've talked about, you told me, you know, you know, sort of backstage here, some sure. of the things you've done, you know, mission trips to Ecuador and some yeah. other things too. What are some things that you've really made sure that you impart to them? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated, but I don't know if you remember when we first had kids, my wife found this book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Yeah. Right. Because there's, there's no, there's no handbook in life, right? There's no, uh, you know, there's no instruction books for us you know, young dads of how do we help them be happy, be confident, be capable, and and go uh, live a productive, happy life, right? So, so uh, uh, through our kids' school, uh, they have something called men's fraternity for dads. 
you're going to cringe. We meet 6 a.m. on Friday mornings, <laughs> right? And we go through these programs. And, and, and there's a lot of it is faith-based. And yeah. there's a phenomenal author named Robert Lewis. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the, the search for the authentic man. And, and, and it, what I love and the reason I bring it up is he talks about our roles as dads evolve over time, right? And when they become teenagers, as an example of that, that critical milestone where you now become a coach and you become a mentor and you become a cheerleader and you become a sounding board because you've hopefully taught them the difference between right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to uh, not just tell my kids, but really help them experience it. So I've taken my son to keynote speeches mm-hmm. and I got him on stage with me. And, and <laughs> oddly enough, the event was about building relationship with Generation Z. So I said, I could show you a bunch of research, but why don't I bring one with me? <laughs> and I interviewed him on stage. It was, and afterwards they're asking him to sign my book. I'm like, <laughs> you didn't have anything to do with it. What is this all about? Um, uh, my daughter doesn't want to do anything with that. So, yeah. so he's, he's a ham and he gets on stage. I don't know where he gets it from, but yeah, who knew? Uh, right. So, so I'm trying to help him create experience where they experience me not just telling them, but doing it. Um, the daughter, yeah, I'm, they have an amazing mom. They both just got back from mission trips in Ecuador. We're big believers of service to others mm-hmm. above and beyond ourselves. They go to a, a very strong faith-based uh, school. Um, my daughter works in an art gallery. Uh, she also teaches you know, young kids. So giving them as many different experiences where they can experience some of the things I teach. Mm-hmm but they've heard me speak at TEDx and they've heard me speak. They've both, they've read my books. It's required reading at <laughs> our house, right? So they've read my books and they, they kind of get what dad does for a living. And more importantly, I think it's important and you've got kids as well, for them to see us living an authentic life where this isn't a front. This isn't, I don't just talk about relationships. Mm-hmm. You try to live them and, and you try to pass on what we learn from our parents and they need to see that. But kids, as you know, they're sponges and they pick up on your behaviors much more so than what we say. And when they see you invest in relationships, when they uh, see, I, I've taken my son on, on road trips and they see, we go and see people and we take them gifts or we take them sweets from mom, right? <laughs> they kind of know what we're doing and why and how those things are important. So David, obviously you've done a lot of things. You've done 10 books now. Yeah. What is the next thing for somebody who's always growing, always thinking, always innovating? What's yeah. the next thing on your yeah, list? Yeah, here's the crazy part. Uh, Brian, I've got seven more books in my head. <laughs> right? it's just, I'm telling you, it's, it's in various stages. Now yeah. books for me have to percolate. Yeah. Uh, so it takes me about three to four years and you kind of start with a hypothesis and you start to look at different clients. And again, as I said earlier, you kind of see these faint signals across different industries and um, and, and they're in different development stages, but I'm really excited about this idea of future of work. Um, I think the advent of technology, we've actually identified 15 forces that I believe are gonna dramatically uh, alter kind of how we work, how we live, how we play. And I'm, I'm, in a, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the intersection of future of work and strategic relationships. And there's some people that come in our lives that uh, and we fight them, but that's the interesting perspective. But they, in essence, change both our direction and our ultimate destination. And I've tentatively started calling them curve benders. Uh-huh. And that's that's the next book that I'm kind of working on. I'm really excited about this. Like I said, uh, future of work. What does that look like? How do relationships come in? When we, everybody's talking about blockchain and AI and cryptocurrency and drones and all those things. What's the role of relationships in that future of work? So I'm excited about that, and 
And uh, I want to make sure I keep my keep my kids and dogs alive. <laughs> and as long as the wife still calls me husband and I still go to that same house, life is good. But that's that's kind of what I'm working on next. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more about today's guest, visit beyondspeak.com. This episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was me, Eric Woody. Brian Lord was your host and executive producer. Shout out to special consultant Lauren D. of D. and Associates and Robert Borquez for that sweet, sweet intro. If you've listened this far, do me a favor and justify my existence and salary by checking out another episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast.